It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Well, good morning, neighbor. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to try that one more time. Good morning, neighbor. Good morning. Hey, it's great to be in the neighborhood. I'm so excited to be with you. I'm, my name's Stephen Mitchell. As I said before, I am the lead pastor here, and it is a joy to be able to be in worship together with you because God is worthy of our worship. And so that's why we come together, and that's why we are on this sermon series, which is all about neighboring well. And we are, we are stealing straight up stealing from Hollywood. They've done it to us for years. So we're, we're doing a little, uh, little turnaround um, because next month, uh, Tom Hanks is releasing A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is uh, a, a movie about Jim Rogers, about Mr. Rogers. And some of us uh, are, are more familiar with Mr. Rogers than others. I grew up uh, with Mr. Rogers on the television set, and my grandmother just thought he was the bee's knees, um, to use her term. <laughs> She probably never, ever said that. I just wanted to say it out loud. Um, but we've been talking through this for, for a few weeks. And, and the first week, we talked about how, what if Jesus really, when he said, love your neighbor, uh, what if he really meant your neighbor? Not this idea of neighbor, but the people who live next door to you. And, and how would it, your life and, and your neighborhood look different if you lived in a neighborhood rather than a subdivision, and as a neighborhood, y'all were good neighbors to each other. And the second week, we talked about the grid of shame, uh, which is uh, this grid. So how, everybody, how, how are we doing on our grid? Everybody that's doing good, thumbs up. All right, one, two, okay. A few people are working on it. If y'all weren't here, the idea of the grid of shame is this. It used to not be, it used to be called the neighboring grid, but when everybody goes through it, they realize just how bad a neighbor they really are. And so it, it now is affectionately known as the grid of shame. It's, it's your neighbors around you, and the, uh, you're going to put name, the first level is their name, first and last name. The second level is something that you know about them that you couldn't have gotten by seeing them pull in or out of their garage, that you've had to actually had a conversation with them. And the third thing is something that y'all are on a deeper level of friendship, so they trust you with some piece of information that, that, that they are sharing with you, or you have trusted them. And so it's y'all are actually reaching the neighboring phase at that level. And so my hope is that we will, we will use this and continue to use this over the next few weeks, and you will continue, even after the sermon series, to work on being a good neighbor by using the neighboring grid, to get to know your neighbors. Plus, 
for me, I'll never forget their names if I write them down and keep it someplace safe. I just have to put it away if they ever come over because they'd be like, what is this weird creepy grid on your fridge? Whatever. Uh, So when we started this out, when we started this whole sermon series, I put out on Facebook, uh, I said, hey, can you tell me on both sides, if you uh, have had a good neighboring experience or if you have had a bad neighboring experience, let me know. And I had, I had people give me some crazy examples, some, some local ones. We had folks that were uh, without power because of a, a hurricane and, or a tornado. Sorry, there's no hurricanes up here. Uh, we, actually, we just had one, but it's different. Uh, that They you allowed their neighbors to come over and, and use the power at their house for a charging station. Uh, people have cut branches. People are shoveling snow. People are doing all kinds of, of crazy good things. Now, I had some people IM me offline and were like, well... I've got a, a doozy of a neighbor story that I don't want to share to everybody because my neighbor's a friend and they're horrible at being a neighbor. Um, those types of stories too. But one of the things that I really caught on to pretty quick was we all have a pretty good idea of what it is to be a good neighbor. We've experienced it. We've seen what it is to have somebody be a good neighbor to us or maybe we have gone to be a good neighbor. One of the stories really took the cake though for neighbor. If you want, if you want to win the, the crown of good neighbor, uh, one lady told me about her neighbor who um, was on a, had, had been tested for a kidney transplant for her sister, and it wasn't enough of a match, and so she wasn't able to give her kidney to her sister, but her neighbor went on the list, and she was able to give her, she, so she gave an actual kidney to her neighbor. Uh, so if you want to win, that's that, the bar is set pretty high. I was pretty impressed, but I was like, no, that's, that's taking neighboring to a whole new level. Because uh, you only got two of those, and some of us only got one. Anyway, so the idea then is if we know what being a good neighbor is, why, why don't we do it? What, what is holding us back? And I think, I think we have a couple of things going on. Josh, and, and, and before the worship service, or while we were singing, kind of alluded to the fact that fear is one of them. Uh, fear, uh, fear over uh, the unknown, fear over things that could be weird. Fear, maybe it's fear that you have not remembered their name and the, the conversation is going to be awkward because they've lived across the street for 12 years. Um, maybe it's that kind of concern. You know, you're, you're afraid of those types of things. Um, maybe it's fear of the unknown. Maybe they're a different socioeconomic uh, class, or maybe they're a different ethnicity, and you're concerned with some of that. Maybe their, their heritage is different, and you're uh, afraid of that. Whatever it is, fear can be one of those things that grips and holds on to us. The other one is time. And I, I would argue that time is probably the most difficult to overcome. In 1973, there was a study done at Princeton. It took me a long time to find this because I'd seen a video on this, uh, but uh, it took me a while to figure it out. But there was a study in 1973. Two Princeton social psychologists ran a uh, psychology experiment on a group of students that were enrolling into the seminary at Princeton. So they'd already graduated. They're enrolling into seminary at Princeton. Their names were John Darley and Daniel Batson. And they took the idea of this whole deal from the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. So what they did is they brought these students together and half of them, they said, hey, you're going to have to get, well, all of them, they said, you're going to have to give a three-minute presentation on what it is to be a minister. You got to stand up and, and give a presentation. Half of them, they said, you're going to have to do this 
and we want you to incorporate the story of the Good Samaritan. This comes in play later on. The other half, they, they, did not say, they didn't give them any regulation or rules or information about it. Just do what, write whatever you want. So they sent them off, uh, and, and then a third of them came forward, and that third, they were told, hey, you've got a good hour before you've got to be across campus. It's just right across the campus. You know, take your time, no problem. You, you have plenty of time to be there. The second group of them were told, hey, you've got about 10 minutes to get there. It's across campus. It's only about three minutes away, so you've got some time, but you, you, you don't have a lot of time. And the third group... Uh, we're told, you're late. You have no time. You've got to get over there right now. Now, the, the scenario was this. Outside of the doors of the building was somebody that was sitting on the stoop of another building, moaning and coughing and generally acting like he was not well. The idea was to test the whole uh, psychology behind the good Samaritan. Would they stop? And the interesting thing is, even the 50% of folks that thought about that, that had to incorporate the story of the Good Samaritan in the speech that they were going to give did not have any impact. So thinking about it had no impact on the students. The one key thing that had impact on the students was time. That was the only thing. 100% of the folks that had an hour to get across campus stopped. 100% of them. Of the the students that had no time, 100% of them did not stop. And the students that had 10 minutes, 100% of them didn't stop either because they didn't want to be late and waylaid by the situation. Now, in their defense, some of the students upon arriving at the other building said, hey, there's somebody out there that needs a little bit of, of assistance. You know, I didn't want to be late. But I think that, tell, that speaks volumes to us about the importance of time in our, uh, in our mentality, the, the importance of, that we place on time. Time seems to be more important than people. Time seems to hold us back from our willingness to help people. And, and this makes sense to us, both the fear and the time issues. We can, we can definitely relate to that because quite frankly, you've already experienced it. I don't know about you, but I, uh, driving down the road, I see somebody pulled off on the side and I'm like, oh, I should pull over and help them. And I keep going right by because I don't want to be late. Or you pass somebody on the street walking and you know it's 112 degrees outside and you're like, oh, I could pull over, but I don't know if it's safe. Those types of things are things that we combat all the time. And, and it's difficult for us to get through there. And I I, I want us to, to work today to, to move past all of that. We've got to figure out a way to do that because we're not the only ones that have been dealing with this problem of time. As a matter of fact, I, I would say time and fear are the two things that Jesus is talking about in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to get there in just a minute. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 10. If you have your app, you can do that too. It's all good. Uh, but, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, I, I would like to offer one to you outside of the sanctuary doors. We have Bibles that are free. You don't have to sign up for anything. I'm not going to send you an email or a phone call. Just grab one of the Bibles and take it with you because we believe we should all be together in God's Word. So we're going to read. Last week, I'm going to set the stage before we read. Last week, we talked about um, the si situation 
that Jesus was in. He, he had been teaching some folks, and there was a teacher of the law, and the teacher of the law stood up to test Jesus. And he asked Jesus, hey, what, what do I have to do to in, inherit eternal life? And Jesus, like so often, turns the question around and says, well, you're an expert in the law. You tell me, what do you have to do? And he said, you have to love God with all your heart, strength, mind, and spirit, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, you've done, that's ah, good on you. Jesus probably didn't say good on you, but uh, he said, good job. You know, that, that's, well, that, that's what you need to do. And then the scripture takes a turn to the darker side, and this is more of, uh, more of uh, the understanding of what's going on in this situation. The, the, it says that because he wanted to justify himself, he asked, and who's my neighbor? And last week we looked at that. We talked about who our neighbor is, and really we found out, yes, everybody is our neighbor, and, and we've got a lot of work to do in order to do that. But today we're going to pick up with Jesus' response. Because Jesus doesn't respond by saying, well, yes, you have to love your neighbor. Jesus responds by telling a story. The story is found in the 30th through the 37th verses of Luke chapter 10. So let us hear anew the words of Jesus. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense which you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This, this is actually exactly what we were just talking about. And maybe you've heard this story and you've been in church forever and ever and you understand all of the, the context around this story, uh, but mostly because I'm up here and I don't think everybody is on the same page, we're going to talk a little bit about the context of this story because it's important to the story because we can sit there and we can look at the priest and the Levite and we can be like, man, those guys were just jerks, right? Uh, that can be our first response because it just seems like, guys, y'all should just be not. I mean, here's a guy laying half dead and half naked on the side of the road. Do something. Uh, but in reality, we have to understand the context so that we understand that their actions weren't as abysmal, I mean, they're still bad, don't get me wrong, but they're not as abysmal because they are, are, are trapped in the understanding of fear and the understanding of time. The first is time, and like I said, I think that's the most important. So here's the deal. A Levite and a priest are both folks that work in the temple. At the time, cleanliness, and I don't mean you are washed and, you know, you smell great today. Uh, hopefully everybody showered, whatever. Um, but what the idea isn't just regular cleanliness, it's ceremonial cleanliness. They have to be clean 
and following the book of law that they have. So that means you can't be in contact with blood. You can't be in contact with other people that are, if, if anybody dies, then you're unclean. And what that means for folks that are then unclean is they have to go and go through a process of becoming ceremonially clean again. And that, that is the key to this, because if you work in the temple as a priest or a Levite and you become unclean, you cannot do your work. So your day is shot. You have to go and do your other, this other stuff just because this person is hurt on the side of the road. So I think time was the key factor in Jesus' story. And, and the folks that were hearing Jesus tell this story would have recognized that. They, they would have known the ceremonial rules on cleanliness for these folks. And so it's key for us as well. So time is a big deal. Now, the second one is pretty, uh, maybe not so obvious to you, but uh, should become obvious because it's fear. Not fear that they're going to get blood on them or anything like that, but more fear that they are going to be conned or duped into helping and then themselves end up beaten on the side of the road because it was very common for a scene to be played out where it looks like somebody's injured and you would go and then you would get robbed because the band of hooligans are going to come out and grab you and take your money beat you and leave you half dead as well so they they were struggling with fear and with a, a, a limitation on time and so they're, they're they're both of these are wrong things Right? So don't get me wrong, if you see somebody laying half naked and hurt on the side of the road, please stop. Um, <laughs> please, with everything I can ask, please stop and, and, and see that things are well. But it's the same thing that we struggle with today. And so then Jesus takes it in a different direction. And for us to understand the context around this is, is supremely important because Jesus starts talking about a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans, in the eyes of the Jews, Samaritans are dogs, less than dogs. As a matter of fact, Jesus has an interaction with a Samaritan woman, and she refers to herself as a dog. She says even the dogs are, are able to eat the scraps from the master's table because she knows what the Jews think of the Samaritans. And so that's the person then who comes into the story. So you have two religious elite, folks that should be generous toward this person that's hurting on the side of the road, and yet it's a Samaritan, this, this person who is less than a dog in the eyes of the Jews, that Jesus makes the hero of the story. And you'll notice that the, the teacher of the law doesn't even say the Samaritan, he says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the key to this story, is that time and, and fear hold us back from doing what we know we ought to do. It's been interesting for me um, thinking through this whole neighbor series because I, I, I recognize just how, how, how I have struggled in the past to try and be a good neighbor, to try and, and treat people the way that they deserve to be treated, to love my neighbors the way that Jesus loves me. And, and so I, I, when I, I told y'all before, but when I bought my new house, I bought it intentionally so that I can have an opportunity to meet new people, meet my new neighbors. Now, 
they're still building most of the houses around me, so I have an advantage on that grid because I only have one, one neighbor that's actually moved in, but I have two more that are set to move in this week. And so this week is going to be a busy time for me. I'm going to be working, maybe I'm going to barbecue some more ribs, I don't know. But it's going to be an opportunity for me to try and, and make inroads with my neighbors. So with this whole idea, um, how, how can we take this thought, this concept, truly into our neighborhoods? What, what would it look like to take, uh, to take this into our neighborhoods? And I think the first thing that we need to understand is Jesus' idea of neighboring transforms being friendly to becoming friends. Jesus wants... Now, now I know, if you're like me, there's probably a neighbor in your neighborhood that you know that you are like, I am never going to be friends with that person. Uh, mostly because they are a jerk and they're doing X, Y, or Z. I used to have a neighbor that hated me because of the way I mowed my grass. Uh, we have all kinds of things that we can, we can come up with that we can find a way to, to not be friends with somebody. But I think Jesus wants us to take that extra step and not remain back held down by fear or, or anger or uh, by a sense of time that is holding us back. And so we need, to, we need to move past that. We need a friend shift. We need to be able to go into uh, a different way. And so if hurry is your problem, I want, I want you to hear this. There, there's an author named John Ortenberg. He's a Christian author. And he has diagnosed American Christians with a condition he calls hurry sickness, saying the most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. If we are to love our neighbors, we must find a way to deal with our hurry sickness. We've got to find a way to move past our hurry sickness. Um, and it, in order to get past our hurry sickness, we have to be intentional, because that's really what all of this boils down to. Because if, you're, if your desire is what's next on Netflix, or if your desire is what's next at church, or what's next in all of these different things, young people today, I don't know how y'all do it, quite honestly, because uh, I've seen students that were in three different baseball leagues, also played flute in the marching band at, at their school, and I mean, did all kinds of stuff. And, and they're working so hard, and they have so little time. There's no time left. And, and, you know, you ask them, and they love all of it. What's your favorite sport? Well, I really like baseball, but I also like it when I play soccer. And you're just like, man, because as parents, we sit back and we're like, well, I want them to have every opportunity that they possibly can. And we're kind of robbing them of the ability to not be hurried from thing to thing, just the way that we rob ourselves because we're trying to find things to fill the gaps and the voids in our lives. Or maybe, maybe it's our hobbies that are keeping us too tied up. We enjoy going fishing too frequently. We enjoy going for long walks more than we care about our neighbors. And friends, Jesus calls us to this. So if there's one thing we should get right as Christians, it should be being a good neighbor. Now, I said it in the very first sermon Getting this right isn't just about being Christian, though. This is something we should get right across the board because it makes a difference in our neighborhoods. Uh, the, the folks that wrote The Art of Neighboring, which is a book that some of this is based off of, this sermon series, um, uh, is, is 
they, they, he told a story when he was in his neighborhood. Now, he, he was walking his dog, and he saw this house, and the grass was overgrown, and, and that kind of caught his attention. And then he noticed that the garage door was busted. It was like hanging wonky inside the tracks, um, and, and he, he was upset by this. He was like, no, come on, you can, you can take care of your stuff. So he wrote a letter to the, the HOA, HOA, whatever it is, the, the home, the neighborhood police, right? So that they're going to come and say, oh, you've got to fix it. So he wrote a complaint against her. Well, he was out walking his dog again, and another neighbor told him, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Her mom is at her house now on hospice, and she has, has to be there as a caregiver all the time. She had to quit her job to care for her mother. And she doesn't have any money to fix her garage door. And this guy is a pastor at a church and he's walking back home so convicted because he has written a complaint against somebody that he should be caring for. And so he did just that. Now that he was aware of the situation, he got some folks together, they went over and mowed the grass and they fixed the garage door for her. But the problem was that the story was written already in his head, that it wasn't, it wasn't something he was concerned about. He, he was more worried about the way that it made the neighborhood look than about the person and the situation. So my hope is for us as a church to move into a new direction as, as a, a, a church that the people of the church take neighboring seriously. The lost art of neighboring is something that we can recapture as part of what we talked about in that first series. And, and next week, we're going to talk about what, what it really looks like to live out being a good neighbor with your neighbors and how you can turn your subdivisions back into a neighborhood. So we know, we know now when, when, we, when we listen to that, what other people are going through, we, we can find out. And it's interesting to me, one of the favorite things that I, I, I have been thinking about is there is one day when almost all of America goes out and goes door to door. Unfortunately, that's the same day that everybody wears masks because it's Halloween. So Halloween is coming up, and maybe that's an indictment on our, on, our, on our communities because we, we, we can't go out and just be neighbors. We have to have a stick. I have to bring ribs or cookies or something like that. So my hope is that we will take seriously this call that Jesus has placed on our lives, that we will make a difference in our neighborhoods because Jesus has called us to that. Now, every week I've been talking about um, some, some different things that are going on and some different opportunities that are happening, and I was supposed to bring this up front with me. However, I did not. Uh, outside, you will see that there is a bag. Uh, it's a very classy bag. It's a brown paper bag. Uh, we are partnering with least of these. You may have, have heard, um, I did not get to go to it because I had a migraine, but you may have heard that there was a football game uh, last Friday, and it was kind of a big deal. The backyard brawl that went on, right? Um, and they, they did a can the Tigers and can the Eagles. They're, they're raising uh, awareness and they're raising food for the least of these and some other food pantries. Well, Nixa has the least of these, and or, I'm sorry, Ozark has the least of these, and we're able to partner with them and do that. So my hope is that you will take one of these with you. It's got all the information on the piece of paper up front so that we can be a good neighbor to our neighbors who are in need. 
so that we can help serve our neighbors. Also, this Thursday is the fourth Thursday of the month, and it is the, the first Thursday that we as a church are going to be able to go to the least of these. Thursday at 5.30 to 7.30, we're going to be able to go out there and serve our neighbors. This is really just glorified grocery shopping. You get a list, you have a cart, you write their name on the cart, and you put the stuff that's on the list in the cart. If you've been to the grocery store, you have made it. You are an expert, and so I would encourage you to come and join with me. If you would like more information, I'll be in the back after the worship service. I'm glad to talk to you a little bit more about it. But these are two opportunities that we have to make a difference in our community, to make a difference in our neighborhoods, and to make a difference with those who live by us. Because that's what Jesus has called us to, and Jesus demonstrates it. Jesus demonstrates exactly that. When on the night in which he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together and, and called them together so that he could show them just how much he cared for them. Now, Jesus, God in the flesh, move in, moved into our neighborhood so that we could have a relationship, so that we could be present with him, so that we could find a way back to God. And it's on that night when he was with his disciples, that he took bread and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he lifted it up to God and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples. He said,